Thank you for downloading this sponsored podcast presented by PR Week. For more podcasts, visit us online at prweek.com. Hi, everyone. This is Gideon Fiddles, I'm Magic Editor of PR Week. It is my pleasure to welcome you to this very special session, Between the Lines, The Power of Cross-Sector Collaboration. It is sponsored by Padilla, and of course, much gratitude to them for doing so. The wisest leaders in any walk of life understand that A, you can and should always be learning, and B, valuable lessons can come from anywhere, including sources beyond your usual circles. Smart communicators understand this as well as anyone. So much innovation happens between sectors. Leaders in other industries have faced and overcome issues that can help their counterparts in other verticals better prepare for similar situations. Tools and tactics that have proved to be game changers for one type, one type of business can often be adapted to do the same for other types of businesses. If the last year plus has taught us anything, it's to keep an open mind and open lines of communication with anyone and everyone that can help us become better professionals. In this very special podcast, we initiate a dialogue between comms leaders from distinct industries to highlight what they can learn from each other and what you can learn from them all that can be implemented immediately and going forward. Of course, if you want to have a great podcast, you need great speakers. Well, I have that covered easily. Joining me today are Mark Klein, SVP of Corporate Comms and Public Affairs, Common Spirit Health, and a lovely VP of Global Comms at Cargill, and Matt Kaczarski, President of Padilla. Guys, thank you so much for joining me today. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. I I literally have been looking forward to this conversation for weeks, and that's not hyperbole. So I'm really looking forward to getting into this. But the way this is going to work, just so everyone out there can understand, I'm going to ask each of my my three esteemed guests one question that will get to the heart of cross-sector learning. Great stuff it's going to be. And then I'm going to step back and turn it over to, to Matt, Mark, and Anna to have sort of a conversation that communications leaders would have over lunch, just talking about various topics of broad importance to the industry and how they can learn from one another. I think it's going to be, I'm very, very happy to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. I think all of you will be as well. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun, very educational, inspirational as well. So let's get started with the individual questions first. And Mark, if you don't mind, I'd like to start with you. Please share with our audience one or two noteworthy examples of a lesson that you have learned from either a brand or a specific communicator in a different sector that truly helped you and your comms efforts for your brand in your sector. Well, first, thanks, Gideon. A pleasure to be here. Appreciate being with you, Matt and Anna. And sure. Um, the first would be from Steve Schmidt and I guess the industry of politics. Um, and the lesson would be to divine, in my case, healthcare on our own terms. So, we focus on people, on care, on the health of our community. We don't focus on the industry of healthcare or the business of healthcare. Also, we think about how can we leverage the contributions we make in our communities through the lens of health equity and economic justice. It's also a second lesson I learned from Steve, which is to think about politics holistically and three-dimensionally. And what I mean by that, what he means by that is to develop where it's appropriate a political strategy that encompasses but is broader than any of the component parts, lobbying, community outreach, media. The third example I guess I would offer is from Starbucks um, and a program that they did with an outside vendor protagonist and their baristas. So we now use, like many, language processing when we think about and um, look at our employee survey data and look in particular at the responses to all the open-ended questions. In particular, what do you most like about your experience and what would you like most to change? And with the natural language processing, I think what we're able to understand is the why 
as well as the what and, and tap into kind of the sentiment and the feeling that's there in these kind of narratives um, through the work of protagonists distinct from simply kind of the statements rolled up into broader themes. Um, thank you so much for that, Mark. And I have to say, um, by mentioning Steve Schmidt and Starbucks, you actually mentioned two entities that I've gained a greater appreciation for over the last year and a half than I probably had preceding it. Um, Steve was obviously on television constantly during the election, and obviously Starbucks because um, I need something to keep me awake. Uh, and Starbucks has come in very handy. So thank you for that. Uh, now, um, Anna, truth is, I'm actually going to ask you the same question, but just to make it easier for you, I'm going to repeat it so you don't have to remember exactly what I asked. But so, Anna, please share with our audience one noteworthy example of a lesson you have learned from either a brand or a specific communicator in a different sector that has truly helped you and your comms efforts for your brand in your sector. Sure. And I'm going to use a slightly different example, though I love that Starbucks one as well. It's such a good example of, of integration and one of my favorite brands. Um, a couple of years ago, we went through an organizational transformation um, with our communications function at Cargill. And, you know, it's really easy to think, oh, org design, I'm going to look internally and we'll just look at our organization and how we're set up. But we really wanted to use it at the time as an opportunity to really reassess our capabilities and, and what kind of communications function we needed to be for this company to move the company forward. And so, in the way we describe it at Cargill, I wanted to bring the outside in. So I started talking to lots of professionals in different organizations, spent a lot of time, obviously, with food companies. That parallel was clear. But then um, with some prompts, I really tried to expand my network. And so it was actually a beauty company that probably had the most influence on me at the time, um, a really well-respected company, a, a master brand with lots of small brands. And um, their chief communications officer and I got into a very good discussion, and she told me two things that just stuck with me that really led to the organization. And the first was know your strategy. What are you trying to achieve before you even think about org design? What's your strategy and, and how are you going to make that um, operationalize? And then the second thing was decide what capabilities for you are the deal breakers. What do you need to have? What do you need to invest in? What aren't you willing to sacrifice? And put all those efforts there and think about how you build. And um, you know, it was so interesting and fascinating to find such commonality with her. And she's such a B2C leader and we're such a B2B business. Um, but it really um, had an impact as how we move forward and designed and has actually been influential to me too as we think about just strategy. Um, Anna, thank you so much for that. You knew it's coming. Lovely example. Yes, everyone out there. She knew no. beforehand. Hey, who, who, had, who had three minutes or five minutes into the podcast where that would come up, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, we, all took, we all took bets on it. And I, I of course, lost because, you know, that's what happens. But, Anna, no, seriously, uh, both you and Mark, those are terrific examples. And not just educational, but, again, and I, this is kind of what I hope to get out of this entire podcast. It, not just the specific lessons learned because those are terrific, but also just the fact that these terrific leaders do reach out to other leaders to learn and to help themselves. And everyone out there could really, really gain from that. I understand at times it's tight right now. Everyone is so busy, but you really do need to make time to talk to leaders in other, in other, in other areas. And I don't mean to steal Matt's thunder and Matt, actually, I'm going to bring it to you now. Sort of the same question I asked of, of Mark and Anna, but you're an agency leader, so it's a little bit different. So as an agency leader, Anna Comspro, who counsels myriad brands in myriad sectors, I told you guys myriad was one of my favorite words, so there you go. It would be great if you could highlight one or two cross-sector collaborations that you have initiated that have not only benefited the brands, but you and your agency as well. I appreciate that, Gideon. You know, that this topic itself is one of the reasons why we are not a boutique agency. Um, we have ag, food, health, 
technology as our named verticals. And, and we want people to cross-pollinate and share best practices among those verticals. That's where we think the power of that, that collective comes in. You know, two examples where, um, uh, where, where this has actually happened recently. And, you know, one of them's a not so fun example. And the other one is a little bit more, more enjoyable, but, you know, uh, we about a month ago had, uh, had a health company with an active shooter at one of their facilities. And um, sadly, we had had that experience before, but not in health, in manufacturing. And we were able to bring to the table that experience to this specific incident and, and, and know that and the, and the, the client was able to know that we, were, we, had, uh, we had been there before. And, and, and if we wouldn't have had that cross-industry experience, we might not have been as helpful. And, you know, really the big lesson on that one was, you know, when you're in that kind of situation, it's so important to prioritize your audiences and think about the victims and the family or uh, the family of the victim first, then the people who are close to those, then others, and then others outside of that and resist the urge to try and communicate to everybody at the same time. And that's a lesson we were able to bring, bring forth from, from another sector where this tragedy had happened. You know, on a more positive side, you know, uh, every, every organization at some point is going through a major technology implementation. In industrial, it's oftentimes uh, ERP, um, Enterprise Resource Planning System, like a big SAP implementation. And there's always a change management element to that, and it always requires effective communications. Well, in healthcare, it's patient health records, you know, implementing an EPIC system or, or, or one of, something like that. So being able to take the experience of the communications around a big technology implementation in change management in manufacturing or a big broad-based industrial company or an ag company like Cargill, and then bringing that over into healthcare and applying those best practice is really powerful. Excellent. Um, thank, thank three of you for those terrific examples. Again, educational and inspiring. That's really what I was hoping for. What I want to do now is, I don't exactly know how to best categorize this. I guess the way I did it before, sort of a lunch conversation between communications leaders who are really trying to pick each other's brains. And Where are we having lunch, though? Can we, we should decide that. Where is this? Well, Anna works, in the, Anna works at the food company, so <laughs> it might be smart to ask her. Um, good list. Yes. Now, good of list. course, I believe, I believe, and I hope everyone out there is enjoying this witty banter. I'm sure they are. Um, I believe Matt is in Minneapolis. Anna is probably in Minneapolis. Mark, I'm assuming you're in San Francisco. I am. And I'm in Long Island, New York. So you definitely don't want to have lunch where I am. But no, seriously, <laughs> folks, um, what we're going to do now is um, I'm really going to turn it over to my three esteemed guests here and sort of have, I'm going to sort of be the fly on the wall. And I sort of want to, want to listen to them have a conversation that is probably not too dissimilar to the conversations that Anna and Mark and Matt were talking about before. They're just going to have them with each other now. So, Matt, to give this some direction, I'm obviously going to let you lead the way here, but I am going to sort of back off and sort of let the three brilliant people on this podcast sort of take the reins for a little bit of while, just kind of bring to life this whole cross-collaboration conversation. So, Matt, I turn it over to you. You bet. Thanks, Gideon. And, uh, you know, with Anna and, and I in, in Minneapolis, uh, there's a, you know, today we ought to note that today, today is actually the day after the verdict of the Derek Chauvin trial. And, and uh, it's certainly uh, the epicenter is here, but, you know, this is extending across the country and across the world. And, you know, it, make, it makes sense for us to start there because this has been uh, an, an, an unbelievable period. Um, and particularly over the past week, it's been, um, it's been really interesting how our clients from across different sectors have been 
asking us, what are your other clients doing in, in preparing and responding? And, and that, that ability to look across the spectrum and, and, and see what everybody is doing has been really powerful. Um, so maybe Mark and Anna, you know, this is just the latest in, in a string of external social issues that our, our companies have had to deal with uh, and, and make decisions around. How are you all managing all the different social issues that are coming at you literally daily as, as a, an incredibly diverse healthcare company and a you know, huge, huge ag company? It's a great question, and it's certainly top of mind, um, especially here in Minneapolis and you know, the last few weeks, just preparing that we would have a verdict and what would the reaction be and how do we respond to that? So I've really been leveraging my local network, talking to my peers at other large companies here in Minnesota, um, you know, understanding where they are, what they're focused on, how do we think through that, just like we did last um, summer when George Floyd was murdered, a similar um, conversation. And so many coalitions have been built as a result of that and in in our companies coming together in our community to help m- rebuild and, and really focus on the change that needs to happen here. So really healthy discussions, but also just a really difficult conversation. And I think in this one in particular, right, it's how do we focus on our employees? because this is our community and not just our employees here in Minneapolis, but our global employees who feel some kind of kinship to this being the hometown of our headquarters. And so that's where our focus has been, but you're right, Matt, it hasn't been the only issue, unfortunately, as we've lived through this just extraordinary year of a global pandemic and so much disruption politically, not just in our country, but in many. And so um, really talking more about where are our priority audiences, what are our, our strategies and key pieces using our values as a guide and, and really thinking about what the impact is. Where does our voice matter? I read a wonderful quote um, recently, and I'm not going to get it exactly right, so I'm going to paraphrase it, but it was very much about, you know, um, a wise person speaks when they have something to say and a fool when they have to speak. And so we're trying to not be the have to speak. And how do we get more wise about it? But I don't have all the answers and I'm continuing to leverage my network. And I'm hoping even today in this conversation with Mark about how do we decide which issues are most important to our business and keeping us operating, but also recognizing that we've got to meet employees where they're at. Yeah, I might just build on that. I mean, ultimately, the acid test is alignment with mission. Um, and I agree. We also kind of look to our values like um, Cargill and, and what Anna made a reference. We did comment yesterday. We did send a message to our 150,000 employees and physicians on the verdict. Um, the link for us is a core part of our mission is to advance social justice for all. So that was really um, the alignment. Um, so generally, we'll continue to speak out where it makes sense Um when we can advocate for meaningful change for there to be a more equitable, healthier world for people. Um, and, and we thought yesterday, did it make sense? Uh, more broadly, I think like Anna said on the question of kind of, do you weigh in on societal issues? We too look at um, employee impact perceptions, business impact, uh, consumer reaction. Uh, we also look at whether weighing in would have influence? Would it make a difference? And then I'm sure like Anna and others, we we think not only about 
should we say something, but is there an action? Is there a policy change we want to advocate for? Is there a training program we should invest in? Is there a donation to an organization? Just think about all the natural disasters, all the fires in the last year. Um, so I think that's another aspect. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, I think, for CCOs across the, the, the globe in a, <laughs> a demanding year um, in, in that context more than normal. Those are some really specific criteria, which seem to me to lend some clarity on the decision-making. Does that also help you all prevent people internally from, or I think in particular executives internally from trying to tell you, they feel like you should have to say something because they think you have to say something. I mean, is, it, is this in part to help justify where we maybe not act as well or where we not communicate as well? I think that's just as important as when you act is when you don't, to be honest. Um, and I think Mark brings up a really good point. It's the action piece. Mm-hmm. Because your values, I mean, can you can adapt them, right, to a lot of different right. things. Or if, if our DEI strategy, diversity, equity, inclusion, is about bringing together all different types of groups and underrepresented groups that can lead you down a lot of different paths, or it could be adjacent, it's what actions are we taking. And I think that's become more and more, if this trend has moved from, we expect corporations to have a voice, but now we're not just expecting it, we're demanding it, and we're okay. calling out those who don't speak. Then you, the next piece is really understanding what actions you've taken to, to back up what you've said. And so if we've got actions and plans where we're, we're moving and it's part of our, our mission, our purpose, our, our business to do, then it, it makes much more sense to be more active. But if we're not doing that, then you can have the conversation internally about are our words just words or are they actually as... Mark said, going to have an influence or make a, make a difference. Yeah. It, I mean, it, 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 it sets a precedent too, right? You mm-hmm. make that decision once, you're going to have to follow up on it the next time something happens, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, uh, we're all over the past year have been, have seen our companies re- recomm- well, commit and recommit and get, get really, really specific about DE&I initiatives. I'm curious, um, from the standpoint of your own teams, uh, I, uh, our our uh, parent network um, introduced uh, introduced me to a, a LinkedIn learning session on inclusive conversations. And when I when I took the session, I was really surprised at how much it was like the crucial conversations training I had a couple of years ago. How are you all educating your own staffs around DEI? Um, you know, obviously, I'm interested in the organization overall, but but particularly your teams. What resources are available to them? Sure, I can go first. Um, well, we do have quite a few resources within Cargill that we are prioritizing for our team. Um, my my team is global, right? One of the measures of diversity for us is um, not that we're not all in the United States communicating you know, here and then translating it for our employees who are in other countries, we need to have more localized communication. So how do you work in such a multicultural team? So we, we have communicators in 24 different countries on our, our team. And so that's one of the measures and how do we create more cultural understanding and more listening sessions? So taking the time, um, our managers are, are really focused on bias, right? We, we all have them. We all have our own unconscious bias. And how does that impact our our hiring decisions, our promotion decisions, our ability to, you know, hire people just like us. I think we always look for, I've been really successful in my role, or I've had this experience, and we need to find someone just like that for this Mm -hmm. next um, role. And so it's two elements. It's one, how do we really help our people, leaders, and managers prioritize this and make sure that we're thinking about building more diverse teams and also making the space for those conversations on inclusion 
and giving people the tools to have those conversations. Because I think that's been one of the biggest barriers. People want to do that, but they just have no idea what to say or that they're going to say the wrong thing and make it worse. And so creating those spaces and giving that kind of training has been a big piece. And in the world where there is just no time, right? Communicators have no time right now. Everyone is crunched. How do you build and make the space for that um, and make it something that people feel was worth and valued as well? Maybe, Matt, I could just build on that and take it in a slightly different direction at an organizational level. And and I feel really privileged for a host of reasons um, to have worked with our CEO, Lloyd Dean, for so long. And in this context, Lloyd's a black man. He's had a lifelong commitment to, you know, DE&I, if you will. Um, And I think broadly, organizations need to think about how are they going to engage, you know, at an organizational level, in addition to kind of the the comments that that Anna has made and the programs Cargill is undertaking. So for us in healthcare, we are looking at how can we reduce race-based health disparities in clinical outcomes. And one of the programs we launched late last year was a 10-year, $100 million partnership with the Morehouse School of Medicine because 5% of doctors in the country are black today. And for people to have a doctor who looks like them contributes to better outcomes. So this is going to create uh, more physicians who have cultural competencies in this area, as well as more black physicians that will save lives. You know, it's interesting you bring up Lloyd and, 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 you know, obviously a, 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 a platform that's near and dear to his heart. Um, you know, Anna, uh, Dave has had, Dave McLennan has had to do that as well and not had to, but has been compelled to do it on things that actually Cargill maybe historically wouldn't have stepped out on. Can you maybe talk a little bit about how, um, how leadership is viewing communications as a, and, and, and how they're maybe um, stepping out a little bit more than maybe historically they would have? Yeah. And I think it's a really good, Good question, right? We are. We're getting out of our comfort zone a little bit on some of these topics and issues. And it started a few years ago in particular when um, there was a lot of conversation around trade, not just conversation, but policies being um, made and discussed that would absolutely have impacted our ability to fulfill our mission, right? And and fulfill our purpose to nourish the world. You can't do that if you can't move food from areas of deficit to areas of surplus. It's absolutely the critical piece of our linchpin. And we're out there talking about the importance of trade for not just our business, but agriculture and the food system in general. And I remember having a conversation with a, a coworker saying, why are we getting so political on this topic? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, what we're saying is actually what we've been saying for the last 20 years around trade or more, right? This is not something new. This is just our stance. But all of a sudden, talking about things that you normally would all of a sudden are almost creating or polarization, even within the organization. And, and that's something we're having to, to walk through and navigate. And so it's always going back to what I said earlier is our values, which are to put people first and, and do the right thing and keep reaching higher. And I think there's this recognition when you're doing that, that communications and your message and engaging audiences is so important. So you create that understanding. Um, and I, I think this last year in particular too, and if I think about the pandemic, communications has played an absolute critical role in how our business has navigated this. Um, We have essential workers, right, who show up and have been showing up every day. I say that from the comforts of my own home where I can work remotely. Um, But I am working remotely. And so as we went from 
in the office to remote work for a long period of time, and now we all communicate virtually. And so communications has just become absolutely part of something everybody's thinking about every day, and that didn't always used to be the case. And so it's created a new space for us to come and talk about the power of what strategic communications can do for the business to keep it moving and keep it going. So I think that there's a couple parts to that um, question that are important. Do both of you think that that has uh, that leadership appreciation or under, at least understanding of the communications function has 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 altered over the past 14, 15 months, you know, with everything that's happened? Do you think that's been the case or is that just sort of wishful thinking on my part? It definitely feels like the case. I think COVID in particular, because all of a sudden you're part of those conversations, you're looking at it in a different way. It really depends too. I think I've always said this about it. I mean, the value we bring to our organization is the understanding of our, our business and our customers and our employees and all those stakeholders. And if we can bring that to the table for those conversations, it's never a fight to get there. You're, you're at the table and you're having those. But now all of a sudden communications has become, we're not just thinking about, um, you know, the safety operations we've put in our facilities. We're thinking about the transportation and how do we keep the supply chain moving through this really large disruption. And then we're also thinking about how do we communicate not just to our employees, but to our customers about what's happening and also, you know, ex other stakeholders that we need to move along. It wasn't just, we'll do all this and then we'll call communications in and then they'll make it look nice. <laughs> we're at the table thinking through the process. And Mark, you're nodding, so I'm guessing you've experienced Yeah, absolutely. So we're at large health system, 150 hospitals, 1,000 care sites across 21 states. And the priorities that leadership established in responding to the pandemic were, number one, keep our people safe. Number two, preserve the access to services for our communities. Number three, to provide leadership. And communications is central to delivering, actually delivering on all three of those. And that is recognized today. And, and when we have reflected as a leadership team on how have we done, there's certainly opportunity to have done better, including in the work we do. But it is communications recognized as one element of what we've done well and what has been a necessary contribution, contribution to doing uh, those um, kind of objectives. Um, the other uh, part of it, and you both talked about this, um, that, that I might speak to, Matt, is I think often, you know, how does the C-suite view communications is, is the question, but I kind of liked that we made our way into this by talking about both of our CEOs, because mm -hmm. I think it can be a perilous path to go down, what is the C-suite's view? So mm -hmm. I counsel other CEOs <clears throat> to get to know your CEO's expectations and what their vision of uh, success looks like and visualize that together and then go for it. Um, the CEO is an individual, you know, the C-suite is not the CEO and the CEO is an individual. So and when, I, are you, when are you, when have you know, a C CFO and a CEO and a CTO all think alike, right? Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. But the other piece I would just amplify from what Anna said is I think that our stakeholder view is, is one of those aspects that, continues to be valued by the C-suite, I'll use that now, wherein I think most other members of the C-suite have a narrower lens. I think there is an appreciation for our broader stakeholder view. It's not about danger there, don't do something. It's about understanding how a decision will manifest with different stakeholders and being able to play that out and mm -hmm. help the leadership team understand decisions do have consequences and to help them understand how those decisions will be interpreted. It does seem to be a common theme that you've got, you both have very strong leaders to your organization. Um, you also have a strong enough relationship with them to understand what their priorities are, as you said, Mark. And then 
helping them see how communications and reputation can either accelerate what they're trying to accomplish or can hinder it if it's not done well. That seems to me to be a pretty good partnership. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, thank you so much for that. Again, um, I was a very, very um, happy fly on the wall listening to that conversation. Are there happy flies on walls? I don't know. I'll have to figure that out. Sure. That's another podcast. They're butterflies. Butterfly. I've never been been called a butterfly. But in all seriousness, guys, some terrific examples and some... um, I I just know that everyone out there is really going to take something away from this. And that's the whole point of this. So uh, that was terrific. And no pun intended. I actually learned a lot. See, lovely isn't the only word I could play off of. See? (laughs) Very clever. uh, Thank you so much. You get Matt's last name into one of these. (laughs) Um, I'll tell you what, when I figure out how to get my last name into something, then I learn about Matt's because mine's a, mine's a fiddle's eye. Lovely is an adjective. So it works very, very well. And I'm sure Anna knows very well. Anyway. I know I learned a lot, like I said. I'm sure our viewers did as well. Um, I also hope this session inspired everybody to seek out your comms colleagues in other sectors. There really is so much you can learn from one another, and now's, now's such an important time to do that. So as we sort of weave our way back into whatever normalcy looks like, I think it's a wonderful, I think it's a wonderful trend that I hope we're starting with this podcast. Thank you so much to Mark, Ann, and Matt for taking part today. Thanks, of course, to Padilla for making this event possible with its support. And thanks to all of you out there for watching this. And again, I hope you got a lot out of it if, um, as much as you were expecting, if not more. This is Gideon Fidel's Magic Editor of PR Week. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks so much. Thanks, everybody. Thank, Thank you. you.